Welcome to the first episode of EdTech Crowd podcast. In this series, I talk to EdTech innovators, introducing their stories and visions on education. If you would like to learn more about the idea of this podcast or about me, please check episode zero, which is an introduction. The episode is powered by EdTech Poland Foundation, the community of EdTech startups from Poland. To learn more about the EdTech Poland, please visit www at techpoland.pl. So this first episode is special for me, not only because it's the first one, but because of the guest. Today, we will hear from Karol Gurnowicz, CEO of Screware. I work with Karol, supporting him in Screware for over three years. Karol is definitely one of those founders who is in the EdTech by heart, with big vision on changes in education. Hi, Karol. Um, welcome to the uh, first uh, episode of uh, EdTech uh, Crowd. Uh, maybe we can start from uh, your story, if you can uh, tell us uh, how did you end up in at tech industry and uh, what brought you here? Sure. Uh, thank you, uh, Mateusz, first to, uh, for your invitation. It's, it's, it's great always to, to talk to you. And um, as, as you know, uh, you know, our story goes back uh some years uh some years back and i think you know before so so, so I, i think i'll put it that way before i was thinking about uh, joining the startup journey uh, i was working for very different um three types of businesses for, for big institutions for smaller companies um even for like public oriented or public sector and, and private ones and i wasn't really quite sure what to do uh with my life and after after that uh, well kind of i would say chaotic um selection of uh, of my uh professional development i would say i ended up uh taking over a small group of people who were developing something remarkable and uh and and i was and and i decided to join screwware simply because of really two reasons the first is that they uh, decided to um, work on 3d printing technology and create something very very new from from scratch here in poland uh which was as far as i'm concerned pretty ambitious and uh, uh and, and really far-reaching And this, and the secondly, I deep down in my heart, I believe this can this can be easily transformed into a technological business, uh, and sorry, into an, an educational um, business. And education was uh, was has always been my close interest, um, and I decided just go for it, and uh, well, a, a bit transform the whole story of the company so that we became an educationally fully educationally focused business rather than just a producer of, of 3d printers at the very beginning yeah so that that's a very uh, interesting uh, what you mentioned because um, i know a screwer did a lot of pivoting uh, but maybe you can uh, start from uh, from telling us what does screwer do uh, right now w what is uh, screwer of course uh So uh, I like to begin with a problem. So I think any everywhere else uh, there is a, a like long-standing problem of um, 
of introducing digitization into schools. Uh, but it's not always, it's not really about technology or, or the presence of infrastructure. Of course, infrastructure is important, it's crucial. However, it will not solve the problem of uh, quality of education. It's, this is like the, like everybody knows that education does not work. Like a traditional educational system doesn't work. So we believe the key problem is in the development of a teacher from the perspective of digital skills and methodology. Those put together, if we provide a, a teacher with the right onboarding, treating her as an expert and give all the support needed, showing how can methodology be improved, we can really create something incredible. So this is the problem solution kind of thing and how we do it in, in a unique way. We deliver a school lab. I'll be happy to show you around like the whole laboratory. Uh, it's a STEAM laboratory comprising of a 3D modeling, e-learning, uh, programming and 3D printing technology all, all together. Uh, so what we do, we deliver the whole solution to the school. We give um, the equipment, software, content, and onboarding all packaged together and just make sure that the whole thing that we created is not used by just one teacher uh, or, or two teachers. It can be shared among many teachers at school. Uh, and the reason for that really is to just, I think like a human factor that people come and go, people get sick, less and more excited. We just want to make sure that there are more stakeholders at once involved that they can just share their uh, experiences and kind of incentivize themselves to to use the equipment, actually use it at, at the school story. So, so, so screen labs in a nutshell, 3D printing, robotics, pre-design e-learning, all put together uh, in, for, for a school, school solution. Yeah, so this is very interesting. Uh, does it mean you do everything by yourself? You, you mentioned the uh, um, 3D printers, you mentioned the robots uh, and the other parts of this uh, laboratory. Uh, so you put it together from other uh, producers or it's a uh, screenware based uh, solution? Yes, so uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we started off as a 3D printing business. Uh, though the idea was, was different was to sell it to uh, children uh, as a, as a well, tool to inspire them in the future. Um, however, now we are still the sole manufacturer. This is our design, this is our IP. Uh, however, well, yes, we, we do manufacture, we outsource part of the production, but the whole core of Screelab lies uh, in software and the way it can speak with, uh, with other devices. So for instance, it's a very interesting question because just recent, just yesterday, actually, we announced a partnership with uh, one of the largest 3D printing manufacturers in the world, a Polish company called Zortrak, and we will be replacing, so to say, our printer, the one in the, in the back, with their 3D printer, but at the same time providing our software, our update to their software, firmware, and providing the whole content uh, and, and, and the rest of the tools in the screen lab. So we went from on hardware only 
through hardware and software, then <laughs> hardware, software, and content. And right now, as we speak, we are we want to fully focus on uh, software and content development and just leaving the hardware as it is and uh, keep the production outsourced. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a, quite a journey. So maybe you can tell us from the founder, CEO of uh, EdTech Startup perspective, um, how was the journey? What, what you see as your biggest success so far and what do you see as biggest obstacles to do the EdTech uh, Startup? It's, it's always good to reflect upon time because uh, if you do it retrospectively, you always make the best decisions. You can rationalize everything and everyone is a genius based on that. However, the decisions are made <laughs> looking forward. Um, so what I, what I try to say, I, I guess, is that uh, with no prior experience in, uh, in running a business, not just EdTech, but just running a, a, a business, uh, you are bound to make a lot of mistakes. You're bound to fail on your face miserably uh, and you just need to get over it and, um, and try not to make uh, big mistakes again, obviously. Uh, so I think uh, maybe I'll start with an obstacle in a way, uh, trying to conclude what I'm uh, particularly proud of, uh, despite all, all the mistakes that I made. I, I think you know that the main obstacle and, or, or the main uh, success factor, key success factor, is finding right people. Obviously, the right people, not just the team, is important. No, the right team you can build on later on, uh, and really focusing early on on the product user fit. So you need to obsess a lot about making sure you understand. The user, uh, you deliver what's needed. Uh, you know what kind of trade-offs you can make with the product and just try to commercialize it as soon as possible. So try to get the money, get the people pay, try to prove it on a very small level. If that works on this small kind of level, then you can scale it up to something bigger with an assumption they can work on a bigger level. Uh, so, so this is this is quite quite important at the very beginning. At the same time, uh, if you are a unexperienced uh, entrepreneur, uh, it's always good uh, to well read some books. As far as I'm concerned, it worked for me. Uh, I spent some time reading and uh, just familiarizing and translating the the theory into practice. And uh, having some mentors, some, some some trustworthy people, of course, consulted with your friends. But but having a good structured mentorship is is is, is a good idea, I believe. So and, and this knowledge, this simple knowledge, this, this is one of the key obstacles. The experience, obviously, knowledge um, and grit. You know, the, the the things you cannot outsource or, or have. You need to have this personality, uh, this specific type of personality, to be persistent. You, you know, to be like honey badger from the video, you just go for it. You get it kicked in the face. You come back. Uh, you're an entrepreneur yourself, kind of serial entrepreneur, matter. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, but you ask what I'm like. What's the biggest success? I would say. Yeah. Um, 
I I I tend to refrain from you know um, uh, like ad admitting that there's there's been a a an astounding success. I think the whole success story is that we survived so many different uh, things and I'll put it that way you know it's a, it's a combination really of putting team together changing of course uh, a lot of processes internally small things you know no big big name big strategy it, it does not it, it does not work like that you need to do small really uh, iterations small steps repeated every day try to impose new things and so overall small successes make for the fact that we did survive and we are on the really uh, you know taking into account all realistic uh, assumptions or realistic conditions we are on a really good way now to to grow our business and well to prove it commercially successful at some bigger scale yeah i got also the impression that uh, there were a lot of successes uh, which looked uh, big at the moment but then from the time perspective uh, the dynamic of startup is that uh, it's not that relevant uh, after all because uh, agreed as you mentioned also i've seen a lot of uh, changes on the way uh, so it's really dynamic and talking about the dynamics, maybe you can tell us more about the, your general impression on the educational industry. And um, also, of course, uh, the pandemic had uh, some influence on it. So maybe you can start, you know, from the general situation and also how the pandemic influenced Skriwar as well. Yes. Um, so you know at the, at, at the beginning it was uh, um, it was cl quite clear that the situation is unprecedented uh, at the school level and uh, and early on it was extremely it's still quite difficult to to, to, to conduct regular sales at this moment but at the beginning it it, it struck everyone that uh, you know schools, are absolutely not prepared and this is a terrible time to be an edtech at the at the very beginning and soon after you had a lot of new incentives coming from the government coming from a local government level coming from eu european union or whatever international organizations that well we need to provide infrastructure we need to help those schools to get the right tools to get used to this remote setting, remote learning. And the remote learning began a new phase for EdTech. Now I think it's, uh, this one is almost done. I believe, you know, there's a lot of remote learning investments coming coming in and you could easily see like from, a, from early, uh, like a fear to excitement. There was a very short time before big names in business, big VC funds, big international you know, consulting companies started writing reports about educational technology and started recognizing this sector as a cash cow, in a sense, as a super huge market. It's always been like that, but like suddenly they, they perceived it, it's, it's attractive. It's, it's interesting for small businesses as well to, to scale 
but also for a bigger players to just refocus their attention to this uh, industry at the same time. So now what you can see is a record high investment coming from mostly from, from China and, and, and in the US and India. Um, however, you know, in, in the Europe context, uh, it, it, this sector is booming and this is just the beginning. Uh, this is just the beginning. This, this is definitely going to move from you know, remote only uh, to question more than just the form of communication, but really to the quality of, of the material, to the whole process, to the training. Uh, so I, I think you know, for us, beginnings were extreme, but early on we, we realized that this is going to be a huge problem for us. So we had to do the, the worst things you can do in, in, in business. You, you know, cut costs. That is, essentially means that you need to let a lot of good people go. Um, but we had to survive in a way, the, the worst period of time. We did. Uh, we closed the fundraising round to be proved that despite all of that, we can maintain the sales level at the same uh, level as, as we did the, a year before. And now the traction is really up and running and the ahead of us is really exciting time, you know? So it's, it's really good to be in EdTech, I would say, you know, I heard a very good analysis that they, like to rephrase it, uh, what happened the last five months in EdTech can be compared to the changes observed in the last five years. So this is the acceleration level we are talking about. And, and again, there is a lot of space in the market still for new joiners, for new solutions uh, to found this place. Secondly, uh, there will be very interesting exits in EdTech. It wasn't in the past, but there will be. And in the US, you have uh, four IPOs, I believe, EdTech IPOs coming on, the, on its way. So it's really happening. And the third of all, there will be a huge change of landscape. In, in, in a way that Amazon, for instance, is joining the game and stepping in. Apple is also definitely targeting education from, the, from like the first big brands I can come up with. And at the same time, the incumbents of the longstanding leaders like publishers uh, are trying to survive on this market uh, at the same time. We can, we can talk about the future of education uh, in, 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 in a second, uh, but I'll ju just try to make one point. I believe coming to the, your previous question, you know, what are, I can relate to, it's easy to be idealistic about your business because education sounds, uh, education sounds, you know, uh, great. And, and, and of course, this is a great mission to change it, but you don't need to, you, you, you really cannot be idealistic as a, as a business person. You really need to think, about specific metrics, selling it again, selling and improving your product, not just making world a better place. Uh, so just please keep that in mind. Uh, great. Uh, you know, in the introduction to this uh, podcast, I also introduced you as a EdTech um, startup by heart, uh, because I know that, uh, of course, as you said, you have to do uh, business, but uh, I also know that uh, you have a bigger vision on education. And um, I would like to ask you, how do you see the future of education? How do you see the future of the schools? Like not only 
talking about the ad tech and the, you know the whole technology impact on it but in general how do you see the changes what what are your predictions you know in a way i think um, we can say that we are in a, in a like a netflix moment for education when education can be consumed in a sense that entertainment is Overall, I think, you know, entertainment, education, okay, gaming, gamification, similar stuff. Uh, you can you can really deliver you know, education, say, by you know, improving your skills. It's a natural way for, for our brain. We are getting better in everything we do repeatedly. Uh, so there's a really thin line between those two. At the same time, what was needed was for, for people to realize that education can take place outside of a building, outside of this brick and mortar, if you relate it to like consumption pattern uh, place. So what I think will happen in the future, you will have some platform, I don't know, several platforms probably, delivering ed education in a way, I don't know, maybe probably closest to YouTube that I can relate to. Amazon YouTube way when you can buy stuff, you can download it, you can watch it on your mobile, you can play, you can interact individually or in a group or in two people. Something that will happen most of the time outside of the school, whereas the school will be important still, but to, to, to teach different things, the th things cannot that cannot be easily you know, delivered by streaming service or by post. Uh, it will be a lot about, you know, learning how to work in a team in a real life setting, how to negotiate, how to present and so in front of other people, uh, how to create projects together. You know, the, the whole teamwork thing and the so soft skills will be emphasized, I think, in, in, in the school level. Uh, so the technology will be very much decentralized in a way. Okay, and um, maybe some uh, question about the educational system in your country in Poland and uh, if you have magic stick and you can change one thing right now in your educational system, what it would be? Yeah, I... Uh, I'm close to, to the teacher community and maybe some of them will stop liking me uh, from now on. But uh, I think there is uh, less regulation in terms of what they have to do. So less strict rules on curriculum, which probably they will find appealing. They, they agree that that's needed. But on the second hand, less regulation in terms of their job security. So it should be really performance merit. There should be you know, personal changes if needed at a school level. And on the second hand, they should be free to operate outside of the school context. They're great experts. Uh, their work should be highly valued. Uh, so clearly there should be some incentives even at the same school for a great teacher and for a poor teacher to be differentiated financially most likely financially okay um that's interesting and um 
what would you advise to fresh edtech startups? Uh, yeah, based on your experience, you know, or what would you say to Karol Gurnovich three years ago? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, no, now I, I'm definitely, yeah, I was, but I, I was reflecting on that. And uh, like a year ago, I would say to myself, don't do it. Uh, but now I'm, I'm happy we, we did survive because COVID did change a lot uh, in a better way for us. So coming back to that, I, I think, so, so let's first, what I said already, don't be idealistic. It's not good to be an idealistic person, a... Uh, like visionary okay but still you need to translate it into uh like working business and make sure that it's it's uh it's up and running and you you get the results early on so that's that's really first thing um the second is uh definitely to question everything uh, to challenge don't be afraid of uh like personal conflicts uh many many companies suffer because people don't like to get into you know personal conflict don't like to disagree with each other even fight i think it's good to have this culture of fight and unite uh, for everyone to 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 remember it's 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 good to challenge everything and just get into detail if, uh, and then agree come together agree on a plan uh, some trade-offs need to be done at all times of course um you know and i think that the, the, the I'm, I'm frequently speaking about the fundraising thing so you need to really know if you want to build a big business uh that requires investors and requires some high risk definitely or you want to build a small business small working business that is not scalable that easy but does not require external capital external money uh, you just need to remember that if you go for the first option for, for a big one, that involves uh, a lot of um, commitments and there's, it's, it's, it's definitely much more stressful and uh, you, you just need to make this choice rational because you don't really have to go to VCs, okay? Uh, even if you go for fundraising, there's so many different alternatives, you don't need to go to VCs. Uh, anymore, uh, but even if you think about that, uh, let's just put it that way. You you need to be ready for a very different game uh, to to play. And I think the last one, uh, very important, is to get some mentors early on. If you're a young person, again, I I, I told you that at the beginning of our meeting, uh, you need to have some structure, advice, some if, even not you know you don't need to have a person who tells you what to do. You just need to have a person who asks the right questions uh, and then keeps you thinking about that and, and all of that. So it's very good not to make too many mistakes on your own. Someone, glad you will find someone to, to just will, that will keep you out of many problems in that way. Okay, talking about the mentors, because I see this uh, subject is not uh, really well explained in the, all those, you know, forums, etc. So maybe you can advise something a bit about 
how to find a proper mentor? How do you see the, the process? Uh, well, to be honest, uh, in my case, uh, in my case, it was uh, the fundraising process that brought me some investors on board that uh, became kind of my mentors or uh, mentor, but I really don't have like a you know regular mentor coming from. I'm actually looking for one okay. or two. So. I'm in the process of of looking because I have well different challenges ahead of me. Uh, we we decided to go for an IPO, so it will require a different set of skills and all of that. I need to get ready for that job as well. Mm, so I'm looking for one, but I consulted some people who do have uh, mentors, several ones, and they told me that um, the first is don't be afraid to reach out to people. Okay, they if you do it the right way, they will most likely like to help you, either for just uh, for for the sake of their empathy or for the sake of the ego. <laughs> it it doesn't matter that much depends what happens later when you talk to them but uh, it's you need to first ask yourself a question what do you struggle with okay which areas are important for you then try to do a basic ground research ask other people just reach out to them uh, as simple as that i think many of the things can be done via linkedin okay so uh, dear listeners um this uh, handsome uh, gentleman is looking for a mentor. So if you would like to maybe advise something uh, uh, to Screwer and to Carol, uh, you can reach him. Uh, yes. And <laughs> maybe uh, the, the last question, um, what are the goals for you and for Screwer right now and for this year, let's say, or the next year's? Uh, simply what we can wish you to came through. Right. So, um, you know, we want to first and foremost uh, grow scale of sales. Um, I believe we have a really outstanding product now after several years of hard work uh, up and running. So uh, we just want to have the biggest scale possible that we can have, we can afford. Uh, second is uh, is for a successful exit in the, in the years to come. Maybe it will be possible in three years. Uh, I hope so. For for Square to be sold to some uh, some bigger strategic investor, uh, and before that, uh, an IPO can really help us achieve that goal. So for an immediate goal, we are preparing for IPO. There's a lot of you know, paperwork involved, but uh, simply as that, we, we just need to make sure that the business is uh, is really attractive and that, that it speaks for itself. Um, and thirdly, uh, well, I I would like to um, for for the team to be to to feel you know uh, really proud of of themselves on one hand, but on the second hand always feel challenged and insecure in a way to maintain this uh, really, I, I would say, paradoxical uh, relationship or, or mindset. Um, and that requires a lot of 
you know, management work, a lot of focus on on team building, of course, and, and, and different operations and all of that. So uh, I wish we can really remain a great team and grow. And as we grow, we don't turn into chaos uh, because that's what often happens. Okay. And um, maybe like one extra question because you mentioned uh, that you read the books uh, which help you to 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 do the stuff so the, to to run uh, the business so maybe you can advise uh, on some one book which you know which can be helpful for everybody who would like to do ad tech or do startups in. sure uh, i haven't found a book uh, about ad tech yet so if there's uh, to, to all the listeners if if you have if you have some good position that we can re refer to, please do let us know. Uh, mentors and books, we are looking for you in that text. But I think, you know, basics, old book uh, for a new founder is uh, high output management. This is a terribly, it, that, the name of the book sounds terribly, but it's written by engineer, by early, one of the first employees of IBM. And it's, uh, it's a very short book, nicely written, and it puts you like into right framework of thinking, you know, how to build a team, how to recruit people, how to organize basic processes to just make sure that things work at the small, small level as they begin. It's, it's a great start. Uh, I wish I had read that book a few years back. Okay, uh, thank you very much. It was, uh, I think, uh, interesting. Um point of view from you, uh, Carol. And uh, yeah, thanks uh, to everybody who listened this and uh, check our channel at the crowd. See you in the next episode.